0: Welcome to this Frequency Matters podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, and today we are going to discuss the 4D automotive radar imaging technology from UNDER. Here to discuss that with me are Maju Hegdi, CEO and co founder of UNDER, and also Curtis Davis, CTO and co founder. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. So UNDER is the first to market with a digital 4D imaging radar system on chip. It's being deployed later this year on the Fisker Ocean. Can you tell us how UNDER got started in the first place?
1: So we started in 2015. And when we started, there were three factors that played a role in what we decided to do. I mean, both Curtis and I have a lot of experience in the communication space. I got my doctorate in CDMA and previously we had a startup where we built networking chips. So we were quite familiar with the whole communications technology. Also in 2015, the self-driving cars were making dramatic claims about how the whole automotive industry would go through an inflection point because cars were gonna become self-driving in a few years. And then we started talking to a potential customer Magna and Magna was very interested in radar. So you put the confluence of those three factors together. It seemed quite natural. In fact, almost inevitable that we should do a radar company. Now your question was, how did we get started? So I'd say the right way to answer your question given these three factors is we got started very carefully and very stealthily. In fact, the name under was essentially going to be short for under the radar. We originally thought of naming the company under the radar, but believe it or not, that name was taken. So we settled on under as a happy compromise. It evoked under, but it didn't actually mean under and none of us want to be under anything or anybody. We'd rather be
0: over. Excellent story. So can you tell us how you developed the digital radar technology? So
1: there I have to make a confession. Digital radar is not a new technology. It has been developed and used by the U.S. military in several projects. The one that comes to mind is the B2 stealth bomber and that was 25 years ago. But they did of course with discrete components. They didn't put all of it into a chip as we have done and certainly what they did would not apply to automotive. So we can take credit for that. That's what makes us special. Now you know if you look at 2015, I told you how we started So we wanted to make the automation of mobility much easier and we thought radar was a great sensor to do that. But when you look at, and this is my pet peeve, if you look at say the early nineties, that's kind of a starting point for two technologies. Automotive radar started around the early nineties and really digital phones started around the early nineties. But now if you fast forward to 30 years to today or to say 2015, then the communication market had exploded. In fact, they had taken over the world. Everybody everybody in the world practically has what we call now a smartphone. But if you look at automotive radar, it was still in only about three to 4% of cars in 2015. And if you look at the actual technology development in communication, there's a new chip every year done by the big companies and, and computer as well. Qualcomm, Intel, Broadcom. But if you look at the radar market, a new chip was developed every five years. But what that did is it gave us really good tutors. So what we knew we could do is we could look to the communications industry that innovated considerably over the last 25 years. And if you look at what we've done in our launch, We've taken a lot of technologies developed originally for communication, but completely missing in automotive and in radar specifically, and we've introduced them into automotive. I'll mention a few of them to you. We went after a low-node low, low node geometry. Communications in 2015 was in maybe uh, 16 or 7 nanometers. Our radar chip is at 60 nanometers. In, commu- in communication, they use wafer-scale packaging it hadn't made it into automotive, we are using wafer scale packaging. Communications that used waveguide antennas for 20 years hadn't made its way into automotive, we're using waveguide antennas. Communications used a lot of signal processing techniques. Think of massive MIMO, which is making 5G famous. Well, we actually had massive MIMO before 5G. And communications was using a lot of phased array and those kinds of technologies, which is exactly what we put on chip. So in some ways, we borrowed from defense We borrowed from communications, but we made it our own because we had to do everything with stringent automotive guidelines, power, performance, and cost, which is what we
0: launched last week. So what were your main design and test challenges that you had to overcome to realize this system on chip?
2: Yeah. So I'll take that one. Yeah. So we had three top challenges that we had to overcome in the, in the base technology for the, the under core IP. The first one was called the near far problem. And that happens with, with all coded systems in CDMA and whatnot. And the problem is, is that if you have a very close transmitter to the base station or very far uh, transmitter away from the base station that that close transmitter to the base station actually its signal is much much stronger than that weak far far transmitter and what that does is the it drowns out the information from that far that far transmitter so just like cdma has that they what they did to adjust for that was to control the power of the the close transmitter and the far transmitter to equalize it to get back at at the base station. We developed uh, a new modulation strategy that allowed us to to do a similar type thing called variable power. Uh, And that allows us to see very large targets close to the radar, but also very weak targets far away from the target. The next thing that we had to to solve was really to enable high integration. And what, what that is is that we have both the digital RF and the baseband, and all the uh, the analog components basically crammed together very tightly with with the high-speed digital uh, processing, and. The problem with that is that the digital noise will couple into these very sensitive analog subsystems and what we did is we through a combination of, of many different strategies. Uh, we generated uh, uh, the ability to isolate that digital noise uh, from coupling into the analog and, and you know how much does it matter, I mean it's down in the nanovolts volts where you have to get isolation into the into these uh, highly sensitive analog circuits. The, the next big thing that we had to adjust for was uh, enabling CDMA requires a very high speed DAC and a very high speed ADC and to give you an example where we're running at our, at our current generation, we have an 8 uh, gigasample uh, per second DAC and a 2 gigasample per second ADC. These are two orders of magnitude larger than what the the current analog uh, FMCW systems are using. Uh, They're in the kind of the, the 20 megahertz ADC sampling range versus our two giga samples per second. But that, that causes some strain for, for us in, in the sense of implementing that what we needed is basically to continue to be super small, but to also be super power efficient. And we actually achieved both of those for, for both the DAC and the ADC. Certainly, we have uh, world-leading uh, pro- subsystems there uh, deployed. The next thing that we had to do was basically to to kind of help our customers. And I've got three things that that I'll talk a little bit about. Uh, The first one is called VRX alignment. So in a MIMO system, you have transmitters and receivers, and the transmitters are on at the same time as the receivers in a true MIMO system like ourselves. And what that allows you to do is that for every receiver, it's able to see the path that that transmit signal has gone through. And um, that allows us to get 12 transmitters times 16 receivers, 192 virtual receivers uh, simultaneously. But the key thing for for it to work well is to make sure that all those transmitters and receivers receive the information at the exact same time. Uh, Current systems today, uh, what they do is to make sure that 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 alignment in time happens for the codes in space is that they match all the RF transmission lines. And by matching all those ma- that those transmission lines, basically they can, can control you know, when those codes actually happen or the transitions happen in air, in so you can sense it properly. But what we did is since we're, we're all digital, we can actually add digital offsets into our system where we can c- control all the way down to single tens of picoseconds of alignment between all of our transmitters and receivers. And that allows us to simplify our routing of our RF transmission lines both in the uh, the package and in the PCB and in the in the antenna 3D waveguide structures that they don't have that uh, that that key requirement. The other thing that we added was called interference mitigation. And in addition to having CDMA as our, our base coding uh, scheme where we get natural interference uh, capabilities against ourselves, um, we also have the ability to sense the entire channel. again, because we're sampling at these very fast frequencies, we can actually sense two gigahertz of bandwidth instantaneously and determine where all the interferers are within that uh, that two gigahertz uh, band. Not only we determine that in frequency, but we also can do that in time. And so as we get more and more radars deployed in in our fleets, that we can sense those and determine where those clear channels are, uh, both in time and frequency and jump to them. And so that's that's very powerful and that's really the first to, to be deployed in the industry. Then the last thing that Manju kind of uh, uh, talked a little bit about was the antenna innovations that we've done. So one of the things where you have a lot of transmitters and receivers all in a very small package is basically how do you get them out to the right antenna? In, in antennas, you know, on a, a fairly large uh, system, you can think of, you know, up to 150 by 150 millimeter antenna array. Uh, how do you actually route those with mitigating those losses? And so what we did in the antenna innovation was that we, we built some very low cost uh, methods to have 3D antennas that are essentially uh, plastic mold injection with uh, some coating, metalized coatings on them that allow us to have very low insertion loss and allow us to, to have a very uh, high performance uh, subsystem at very low cost.
0: Well, with all those channels, you must collect a ton of data. What type of processing power does a system on chip have?
2: Yeah, so it is a lot of data. So we actually uh, have about 32 gigabytes per second of data that we're actually generating. And to handle that large data stream, we have a configurable microcode DSP pipeline. Uh, it has over uh, 22 terops of processing. And uh, for the different scans, we have a microcode engine that basically allows us to configure it in different ways to have different range resolutions and different angular resolutions and, and whatnot. And that configurable pipeline actually takes it all the way from the, the raw ADC data all the way out to the, the final information in range, angle, and Doppler uh, for the, the output of the, the 4D radar. Are. In addition to this configurable pipeline, we also have some general purpose compute, and that's broken up into uh, two types DSP, and then uh, some ARM cores that we have. And The DSPs that we have are, are P5s, so they're, they're 512-bit wide uh, seven instruction VLIW machines that actually uh, run about 400 giga ops uh, per second uh, for the system. And these allow for all the post processing and enablement of the additional features that are above just getting the raw information out of there. You can think of that as essentially tracking and uh, automatic emergency braking and the applications that go above that. Under uses one of these processors, uh, the P5 processors, and our, our customer gets the other one and they can fully code that and get access to that. Uh, in addition, on the the Arm core side, we have a general purpose uh, two general purpose R5s on there, and again, customer gets one of these cores, and Under actually uses one also. In addition, we have a, a hardware security manager and a FUSA manager that are both running with uh, M0 pluses from Arm also. So we have a, a very uh, complete uh, processing pipeline that allows us to scale from the the very high speed interface all the way up to uh, the, the final application.
0: Wow, that's a ton of functions to fit on one chip. So very impressive. Uh, what are your RF features for the chip, such as, you know, the power, number of channels and resolution, things like that?
2: Yeah, so I'll talk. There's lots and lots of features we can talk about uh, all day. I'll talk about six of the, the primary ones. I think the, the biggest one is really the the 1NA2 virtual receivers in a single package, uh, which is, you know, 16 acts better than uh, the current leading uh, FMCW systems. What that allows us to do is essentially having this, uh, these 192 VRXs allows us to get more resolution and angle. So it gives us uh, basically the ability to subsect the the angle both in azimuth and elevation uh, to get a, a real three D or four D information of the of the scene. The other thing that we've added in here is uh, receive side beam forming, where we have a full matrix multiply engine. We're doing a, a complete DFT. And what that allows us to do is we can take all the the, the virtual receivers and then do a full uh, matrix uh, multiply on that that gives us the ability to to cancel out all of the. Uh, any channel isolation issues, and so we can basically take care of any antenna coupling in the air or whatnot that's always there, and so that we can get very good results as far as the the, the true detections. We talked a little bit about this before. It's kind of true MIMO, and so what we have in true MIMO means that we have all our transmitters on simultaneously, and they—they they, each one of them have an orthogonal code on them, and that they're switching at say a nanosecond or a half a pic- or half a nanosecond time time scale. And those codes are essentially as long as the scan. And the scans are, are typically, you know, 10 milliseconds, maybe up to 30 milliseconds for a longer one. And so you can think of, you know, somewhere in the the tens of millions of, of codes that are basically long for each transmitter, that are assigned to each transmitter. And those codes are, are orthogonal to each other. It allows us to get very, very high isolation between those VRXs and uh and enable us to, to have all the power on target. Uh, with this, we're able to keep, you know, all 12 of our transmitters on all the time and we get the output power of about 22 dBm output power. Some additional things that we have in there is phased array. So on the transmit side, we can actually do digital phased array, which allows us to co- uh, to combine. You can think of those 12 transmitters and we can run them as one big transmitter with a very narrow beam to, that uh, we can, every 10 microseconds, we can actually switch to another another beam, or uh, we can actually have a variety of, of some of the transmitters in phased array mode and some in MIMO mode, so that it gives flexibility uh, to the different architectures. And you can think of, you know, where would this matter? You can think of uh, on OEM cars, they have a large misalignment in the vertical direction of say plus or minus six degrees, but they only want a, a 10 degree vertical field of view. And so what we can do is essentially put two transmitters on top of each other and then phase them so we can actually point to the right 10 degrees, no matter what the, the, the actual installation of a specific car is. And we can learn what the zine what, what the, the is and then always point them in the right direction so that we can get the not only the, the maximum gain for that particular 10 degrees, but also uh, it gives us some additional advantages there too. The other thing that we worked on quite substantially was really the ch- channel isolation and channel isolation is really a kind of the combination of a whole bunch of different things and you think of it's kind of the worst of all the of what's happening on the die or the package or the PCB or in the antenna, we've got a 3D antenna. And so what we've been able to do is for all the way out to the antenna systems, we are able to get up to in the order of say 90 dB of isolation, which is, is just truly un, un, unheard of. And what that allows is essentially uh, for new and different types of antenna arrays that, that haven't been thought about. The other thing that, that we talked a little bit about before was basically the VRX alignment. Again, that that allows for us not to have precision layouts of the channel matching lengths and it makes it easier again for the customers. And
0: so how did you decide to use the CDMA like coding for the radar? And what advantages does that have?
1: Yeah, so we decided that if we are going to do this in, in a market where there are incumbents, we needed to do something dramatically different. And that's why we went digital. Now there are multiple ways of going digital, but the one thing we identified was the big advantage of going digital is coding needs digital. You don't have codes unless you're digital. And so CDMA was a natural uh, conclusion for us that we want to have a CDMA inspired radar. So if you look at codes in general, I mean, codes have two properties, right? They have a distance between codes and this distance in general increases with the length of the code. the advantage we had is the element of the code that we use is half a nanosecond now the time for a frame typical automotive radar processing frames are milliseconds so that's a million times more so in other words we could have code lengths which could be a few million units that's huge in terms of the distance between code that distance translates directly into what curtis called isolation the isolation could be between channels It could be between transmitter and receiver, but having that kind of isolation affords us many feature capabilities. I'll go through some of of them. For instance, the fact that we've got such huge isolation between transmitters, between the different transmitters allows us to have all the transmitters on at the same time. That gives us more power on target and that's responsible for one of the big advantages we have over analog radars. We can see small objects much further, way further, pedestrians, tires on the road, exhaust manifolds. There's a second advantage of the coding. And that is that what we call high contrast interference. This is a a problem that's plagued automotive ever since automotive wanted to go uh, autonomous. It's the fact that FMCW radars, they can see an object, a large object, but if there's a small object next to the large object, then the large object essentially swallows the small object. It's because of the way they receive. But with codes and this, is this kind of isolation, we use time domain autocorrelation methods. So we can see small objects next to large objects. The canonical example to remind people of why that's important is we can see children next to cars and we can start tracking the children. So we have much better contrast than analog radars. A third element there is cdma stood stands for code division multiple access so in other words cdma brought a new dimension into channels in fact in the early 90s when CDMA was introduced and i was a professor i used to have to spend a lot of time with sophisticated communication people they said we understand a time channel we understand a frequency channel what is this code channel because it's really virtual right you have a certain pattern of bits and that pattern is chosen so that there's tremendous isolation so you can separate those two channels. And that's why we use the term virtual receivers, because we actually have each code sent by the transmitter, and we separate the reception according to the different codes. So this code division multiple access is particularly important because it prevents interference, but interference is going to become a bigger and bigger problem in cars. So we natively get that interference mitigation from the codes. So these are three of the differentiations that we have in our radar, which arose directly from the choice of CDM codes in our modulation.
0: And so what type of packaging technology are you using? Did you have thermal and signal integrity issues that you had to overcome with this system on chip?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. So as we concentrate all this, Technology into a very small package. Actually, the power goes up in that in that little little area. So what we what we adopted was wafer level fan out packaging with exposed die. And what that exposed die allows for us is to have a very low thermal impedance to the, the transistor. Actually, our thermal impedance is like 0.25 degrees per watt. Uh, so for say a 10 watt application, you would get a 2.5 degree delta T rise from our junction to the backside of our die which allows for a a very good thermal uh, thermal path to dissipate that uh, that heat to the to the back chassis so you can think of the heat sink itself Uh, so we've kind of converted a a pain point to actually a very simple way to interface to to the thermal uh to the thermal uh dissipation device and allows us to be very economical and and very efficient uh, at heat removal in addition uh, we talked a little bit about the, the isolation that we did Uh, A lot of attention to detail was really required to get the isolation up between the TXs and the RXs and then uh, between the, you know, both on the the chip and then on the package and then on the PCB uh, and then in the transitions in the the 3D uh, antenna. As this is
0: the first software-definable radar IC, how will you do the -the over-the-air updates and how will they enhance the capabilities of the radar?
1: the fact that we're the first software-definable radar has two significant implications. One is over the air update, but the other one is just letting our customers program the radar. I mean, they're not used to that. In fact, when we go to customers and say, you can program our chip, not just the digital portion actually, even the RF portion, you can change the waveform, you can steer the beam. They're not used to that. And what that does is it co opts the entire software community and makes them innovate on a platform that we provide. And so even, Forgetting the over the air updates, that's a dramatic change. And so radars will no longer be static. Remember my pet peeve about radars changing once every five years? No longer the case because they're programming every time they have a new software feature, when they productize it, it's a new radar. Now, the over the air update is very interesting for a few reasons. One is, you know, having to bring the car back and having to Upgrade it like how a recall occurs. That's going to be expensive, time-consuming, and certainly put a dampener on how often you can do that. And as we've seen for going to self-driving, full self-driving, it is going to be iterative. You know, many car companies are already doing this. What we are doing is bringing that capability to radar so that you equip the car with the hardware. And the hardware, in this case, is our platform. We have a platform radar. And then when they realize that, with feedback from the car or from the customers. They find out that there's a new feature that they need to put. They do that in their lab, in their development system. When they're sure it's productized, then they just send it by over their update. We've got a very sophisticated security architecture that Curtis mentioned, that allows them to be very uh, sure that this will not expose the car to hacking because they're allowing them to go over their update. And that's why we developed such a sophisticated uh, security
0: architecture so talking about the new sensor system that will be on the fisker ocean can you tell us about that configuration are there multiple units and where are they placed
1: sure they actually had a video at CS and a a teardown of the car showing you exactly where the radars are placed so they're going to use five radars there will be a long-range radar in the center just below the license plate and then in the four corners at about say uh, one and a half foot from the ground, they will be four uh, mid-range radars.
0: And what enhanced safety and autonomy features do you expect to be available using your system on chip technology for the future? See, the best
1: answer I, give, I can give to you on that is, I do not know. And the reason I do not know is because we have a platform and that's the point I was making earlier. Our customers can use the radar any which way they want Whereas previously, you know, the tier one had to, or the OEM right up front had to design that and put it in. So everybody knew what they were doing. We actually don't know what they're doing because they can do whatever they want. We've given them a platform. They know their use cases. They know their customers better. So it will be in the L2 plus space, but specifically what features they're doing, it's up to them and their ecosystem.
0: Well, that's very impressive to have such a flexible and capable system on chip. So just looking forward in the next few years, how do you see this technology advancing?
1: Yeah, I think radar will become a very pervasive technology. And when I say pervasive, I'm thinking of even beyond automotive. In automotive, it will become pervasive because I told you we've now brought in the entire software community, working directly with the hardware, even when the hardware is remote and updating it in the field. That itself will cause a dramatic improvement in the pervasiveness of radar. But if you look at what is true for automotive, it's true for other vehicles. In fact, I like to say, if it moves, it will become autonomous. And we are seeing signs of that. Last mile delivery robots, electric vehicles, mining, construction, agriculture vehicles, delivery vans, utility vans, surveillance, government, even consumer robots. So we made radar cheap we made it low power, we made it small form factor, and we made it programmable. Once you get those things, all these markets, which you know, will see the, the leadership of automotive, which is the hardest case, actually, these are much simpler. They will flock and start introducing radars in and improving the mobility of those systems. So we definitely see that happening. In mainstream automotive, again, because we've been able to co-opt a whole ecosystem, we think radars will become much more performant in terms of both resolution, accuracy, and also this will definitely accelerate the introduction of fully autonomous cars. And then lastly, the thing I'm happiest about is that features will now be driven by software. The hardware will just be seen as a receptacle to house the software and to make it happen, but the features will be it'll be software first. Hitherto, all automotive sensors and especially radar sensors are hardware first. You have the hardware and the software kind of Massage the hardware to make it fit, but it's completely software first. That's, I think, going to be the most dramatic
0: change. Well, this is a very exciting area of technology. I thank you guys so much for talking with me today. It's really great news that the 4D imaging radar will be hitting the market later this year and enabling new safety and autonomy functions and more. We'll be following this technology closely and hope to have you back in the future for an update. For our listeners, you can find more podcasts at podcast.microwavejournal.com. Thanks for listening.